I could, you know, I could just read sections of it for you and get your immediate feedback. I mean, I don't know that that that's worth spending that much time on, but... Oh, well, if you haven't read the okay. article, how can you, you comment on it? You should open us normally. <laughs> hey, flush the toilet! Too busy to flush! Got it. Okay, hey guys. Uh, I'm JR. And I'm Molly. It's Molly. Of coffee. Yes, we're, we're sipping coffee. We were talking about doing... Well, let me get back to that anyway. Anyway, if you're this is your first time joining us, thanks for being here. Um, this is just our effort in inviting you around uh, our little table and opening our lives and uh, as we live out the gospel in an ever-changing world where people are difficult and hard. We've got four kids, ages 12 through 5, and um, we live out in Montana. So that's that's the, the brief Cliff Notes version. What we do for our daily do- tasks is irrelevant sometimes <laughs> and... I, I homeschool all four of our kids my first year educating at home, a middle middle schooler down to a Fair. kindergartner, and JR's is more scattered. Mine's way more scattered. Uh, Molly has her MDiv from Westminster Seminary, and I've got just a measly, worthless bachelor's from Moody Bible Institute. And I'm a media <laughs> producer. She's a closet theologian. So, um, unemployed theologian. You're employed. Yeah. I, I am not employed for pay. I have an occupation. Right. So this week was, as if you guys are regular listeners, for those of you who are not regular listeners, I'll say that. Um, we say this every show. Every week is a can be a really difficult week to try to sit down and find time to record the podcast. We try to be consistent about it, and we've been failing, abject failing, all Since over the place. Since June, it's, basically. It's awful. So anyway, we were going to record this last night, and we were both so tired. That as I don't like, I don't have it in me. I was falling asleep at the dinner table and Molly was just feeling gassed. So we thought, well, let's, the kids are over at my parents' house having breakfast. Why don't we just do a Saturday morning show while we're drinking some coffee? Didn't Saturday Night Live used to have an NPR parody of Coffee Talk, didn't they? Why does that, why does that mean? Yeah, that's the sweaty balls. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, this is Coffee Talk with JR and Molly. And we, this is really good today. I cannot guarantee we won't be talking about sweaty balls, but it's not on the agenda. This coffee is really good today. Thank you for making it. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. I had to reheat my coffee already once you today. To reheat your and I didn't even today? have kids around. I like to drink my coffee at least quickly as possible so I don't have to reheat it. I don't like reheated coffee. I don't. Very much. I'm a one coffee cup one cup of coffee a day person. Okay, I'll I... stop my Get paranoid. Imitation, my poor imitation. So, uh... Anyway, before JR hit record, he was... He was... My buddy Drew... Messaging with a friend. Yeah, my buddy Drew sent me this. He says, Also, this is an article published on in TGC. I have thoughts. Curious for yours. And if any of you paid attention to anything on the internet apparently yesterday... This is the first I heard about it from this morning. Just saying. But, yesterday... Uh, TGC published seven things Christians can learn from Taylor Swift's heiress. Tour. Was it? It was October twelfth. That was yesterday. 12th. Oh, all right. Well, whatever. And apparently, after yesterday, much backlash, everyone picked it up. They picked it up and they deleted it. So um, Molly hadn't heard. She's, we I were... had heard of it because there's a gal I follow on Instagram who did what? One, two, three, five slides about it. And that was it. That's all. I just kind of 
took it with a grain of salt and moved on. I would be super curious, though, to know if we have any Swifties out there. Any mm. Witches of Taylor Swift. Well, I know I do. I think somebody's messaged me about it. Huh. Okay. Because I, I honestly, I don't think... Oh, Shake It Off. That is the only song of hers that I could name or that I would recognize if it were played on the radio. And the only reason I know that is because Faith went through a phase of being obsessed with Sing, the the show with yeah. the singing animals, the singing competition. And I think Shake It Off is also featured in <clears throat> one of the kids like dancing we shows that we like video games that we have. I'm not positive about that one. But they know it because I believe a pig sings it in the in the show Sing. And the only thing I I don't pay attention to her at all. Um, but being in the live music industry, um, she made history by giving like twenty and thirty thousand dollar bonuses to her entire tour crew, like truck drivers. Truck driver, yeah, everybody, everybody down mm-hmm. from the from the gaffer to the front house engineer, the tour manager, the truck driver. She gave everybody like huge bonuses on the tour, and that I mean that because she's a very savvy businesswoman and whatnot. It's been interesting to me to see how many Christian women in my sphere, in my loose sphere, have gone bonkers for her. Like, flying their daughters to Vegas to see shows. Uh, there's one gal in my sphere who who had already purchased tickets to see her one night and then won tickets to see her the next night. And so went to shows back to back. She wasn't going to give them up and sell them or anything. She went She went back to back. Um, and I guess it's a great point of bonding with daughters. It She puts on apparently just an absolutely incredible live show, which then spurs one friend that I'm talking about, thinking of specifically, and I know that you will recognize yourself because you listen to our show. Uh, she, <laughs> she was like, I wasn't really a fan until I went to her show, and it was so good. Then I got taken up into being a fan, but I don't have these strong, there's apparently you can have different opinions about her own recordings of things. And I don't know. Anyway, you can have strong opinions about what things that she does. Um, And she's like, I don't have those strong opinions. I let my daughter have those. But after being at her show, I absolutely would consider myself a fan now. Um, But anyway, carry on. Right. The Gospel so, Coalition. And we're not here to slam the Gospel Coalition. This is a, just a great point of conversation, right? We're not here to slam the Gospel Coalition. We are processing living in a fallen world where Christians of although although Christians I, yes. can have different opinions about yeah. things in good faith. And if you listen to Molly and I often, you know, we have we, strong opinions. We have and they freak very frequently differ. Um, no, so, but this kind of goes back to my thoughts on, on why this article was even published to begin with, but, um, Molly hadn't read the article, so I was going to like pull up a couple of points, maybe. Then this is from a cached, an internet cache? This is from an internet cache, but I'm actually, uh, pulling a few things from notthebee.com. They archived it and then went to go and do their (laughs) whole thing. Of course they did. (laughs) Is that what Drew sent you? Yeah. Um, so... The uh, the author is a is a guy by the name of Blake Glosson. He's a pastoral resident at Chapel Street Church in Geneva, Illinois, and is also an MDiv student at Reformed at uh, Theological Seminary. Um, and depending on what campus 
might mean what persuasion he is. Uh, I mean, RTS is pretty consistent. Pretty consistent. I, and I, I mean, I hold RTS in high regard. Well, when you so were looking, I when I was looking at going, you were like, go to the DC campus. Well, that's because I have friends there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like two, two men that I think extremely highly of, both in terms of their character and their academics, are both professors there. It'd be easy for now. me to start now because I could go live in Baltimore for a few classes with your brother. I, you, I'm kidding. We I'm are kidding. not discussing you going to seminary. No, I'm not anyway, going to seminary. Anyway, I, I regularly, seminary, I will say this, I regularly read things and appreciate things and don't take issue theologically with things from any of the RTS seminaries. Yeah, so go. I wouldn't take this as, right. I mean, I'm a graduate of Westminster and there's some real sketchy stuff <laughs> that's come out of fellow like graduates and professors. And yeah. it's not just PDNs. Okay. But so anyway, don't like and yet I think Westminster is producing good pastors and good theologians. Yes. Okay. So anyway. So back to this. Um first point. We were So the, what's the title of the article? I the title is, is seven things that we can learn from Christians can learn from Taylor Swift's Eras Tour. Okay. Pretty straightforward. And he lists seven things. I'll read the first one and I just want to gauge your facial reaction. Sorry guys, we don't have a camera going right now. <laughs> Which is good because I look like I just woke up point, point number one. Days. We were created to be seen and known. Part of what makes Taylor's music so powerful is that it leaves many saying, she gets me. Many feel her lyrics perfectly encapsulate their emotions and experiences and even help them understand themselves. The Eras Tour allows fans to draw near to the one person who seems to really know them. Of course, Taylor doesn't know 99.9% .9 of her fans. Only foolish ones would think otherwise. Still, the joy Swifties feel in Taylor's presence, perhaps even catching a glance from Taylor herself, reflects the joy of drawing near to the only one who knows and loves us perfectly. My gut reaction is 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 it, it, it's idolatry. You know, like we are doing it's kind of doing a shallow covering over of seeking fulfillment we have a god-shaped vacuum in our heart and he's like let's celebrate the vacuum rather than and then he tacks on at the very end like oh by the way it's a god-shaped vacuum uh we're not celebrating the vacuum we should be celebrating the god who is the only one to fill that vacuum and when you look at all of these screaming people saying she knows me. She identifies with me. Um, I mean, if you want to take it even <clears throat> further, like this is Emmanuel, God with us, right? This exalted, like the exalted being comes down to our level and takes on our lowly flesh and identifies with us in everything. He had snotty noses. He probably, Jesus probably had diarrhea. You know, like all the things that are, that are ick and ooh and not glorious at all about the human embodied existence, the fallen human embodied existence, uh, Jesus identified with. But that doesn't mean that we need to take every single person that we admire and be like, oh, also Christ figure. You know, I mean, <laughs> there are Christ figures, but but here's the deal. She doesn't take on our, she does not identify with us in order to save us 
from that position and in order to redeem that experience. You know, if the, the thread of the New Testament when it's talking about Jesus identifying with us is that he suffered in every way that we did, yet without sin. And he did that in order to redeem that experience so that you and I can look at our own suffering of when it feels like God has not responded to our prayers. God is silent. God is letting us have a thorn in the flesh. God is letting us persist in suffering. And when we say, Lord, please take this from me, and he gives no answer, which is an answer, which is no, (laughs) uh, for my good and for your good and my glory, you will continue going through this. And it is for your good. And and I can promise you that in my sovereignty and in my goodness. And Taylor Swift has none of that. And so to simply say she gets us like Jesus does is such a shallow, idolatrous imitation of what it really means to have somebody who is high and mighty and exalted understanding our broken condition. Okay. I'm going to read one more. <laughs> I'm not going to go through the whole list because we'll get a really good feel for everything right here. Two, we were created to image greatness. Swifties appreciated Taylor's beauty more because of each other's imitations. The words, I love your dress, were exclaimed countless times that day. Yet it wasn't just Swifties who noticed the shimmering attire of Taylor's fans. Taylor's dresses became more visible when worn by her followers. Through Swifties, the world saw Swift. One of the great joys and privileges given to Christians is to put on Christ, Romans 13, 14. To put his sparkling attributes on display to a watching world. We were created to shimmer as jewels on the crown of Christ's head. Zechariah 9.16, Malachi 3.16 and 17. I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time not laughing at that last part. Okay. I don't get, honestly, <clears throat> right. I'm having, I don't know if it's because I'm not fully awake or I It's just, just the way he was, he was writing. Yeah. He's, he's correct. But the way he was like, he turned on sparkling attributes and shimmer as jewels. Yeah, just, I mean, sorry, yeah, it, it sounds like a Disney princess up. movie, right? Um, anyway, thoughts on that one? Same along the lines, last lines of idolatry. I, no, my thought on that is, boy, that's a stretch. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I it just feels like such. It a doesn't feel stretch. right, does it? Um, I don't know. I mean, when you started talking, I did read an article about Taylor Swift's uh, tour. So I will also say this: um, I don't think there's anything wrong with enjoying Taylor Swift's music. I don't think there's anything wrong with identifying with some of her lyrics. Understand that they are not Christ-like and they are not redemptive. Set that aside. And I have no problem enjoying the things of the world as a gift of common grace and just of beauty and things like that. But let's recognize that it is of the world. And that whenever we partake of things of the world, there is a big risk that that is shaping our hearts and how we think about the opposite sex, how we think about dating, how we think about, um, how we think about what it, what, how we react when we are wronged. All of these things that I know Taylor Swift themes. I have no problem with people taking their daughters and enjoying a Taylor Swift concert. Let's just be clear on what it is. It is not a Christian experience. And 
you you can probably come up with ways to redeem it as a Christian experience. I would say first of all, like bonding with a child, bonding with your daughter. Like if that if that was your purpose in going, bravo, pursue that. Uh but but let's also be clear, I again, I don't know anything about this. Uh but this gal reformed mum uh, she's from Australia. I started following her because she publishes some Bible studies that a friend of mine really likes. She says that Taylor Swift is not secret about this, but that she is a witch and that during her show, she convenes her coven on stage. Uh, that seems like a pretty devastating critique, if true. Again, I don't know if this is true, even remotely. And truthfully, you guys... This is maybe where JR and I differ from other podcasters. I will walk away from this microphone and I will not think about this again. I will not research this for you people. <laughs> it's true. If you want to know if Taylor Swift is truly a, a witch and convenes a coven on stage or if she's just acting it out. And if you have opinions about right or wrong, if she's acting it out, you go figure that out yourself. And if you want to join our Telegram page and report back to everybody else about your convictions and your research, feel free. I don't care that much about it. Uh, to I care much enough about it to talk for 15 minutes on our podcast and put it out there to the world. <laughs> but but she says uh, um, she engages in witchcraft and her take is that is a devastating critique of it. Also, she's a feminist and not in a good way. She leads an adulterous lifestyle. She's pro-choice. And all of that is evident throughout her music. And and if you're buying tickets to her concert, you are supporting, promoting those values. Uh, the Federalist by has a piece by Mark Hemingway, <clears throat> whose wife, Molly, I greatly respect and enjoy. And not just because she has a good name, but she spells it wrong. She, uh, he published a piece September 5th, 2023, that says Taylor Swift's popularity is a sign of societal decline. And the subtitle is audiences and elite tastemakers alike have decided that Taylor Swift's narcissistic lyrics and cliched music are a cultural triumph. But why would we celebrate this? So uh, that just and again, this actually might segue into some the only thing I wrote down that I wanted to talk about okay. this week. Well, but, I do have I do have something to add to this before we close. OK, anyway, uh, I, I tend to I am not a pop music person at all i can't remember the last time i i couldn't even tell you what radio stations play pop music in in billings these days i would not know how to find a pop music station on my car's radio and generally when apple you know i open apple music and it suggests popular music i'm like no no, no. let's scroll through and find Allison Krauss. Or... I don't. I don't actually think there are any local pop music stations. Everybody still plays stuff from the sixties, seventies, and eighties. And the nineties. They the play 90s. stuff from the nineties too, because that's retro now too. Oh my gosh. But anyway, um, I. So Mark Hemingway himself says, "To be clear, I'm not so hostile or out of touch that I don't get important aspects of her appeal. I think she's worth paying attention to because something about Swift resonates at the frequency of America." But I'm genuinely not sure her popularity is a testament to her talent. And I can't think of another major post-World War II music figure. I'm honestly this conflicted about estimating their gifts. She's a phenomenal marketer. She works very hard. And from what I can tell, almost no one at her level cares genuinely about their fans in the way that Swift does. 
Uh, and then he also talks about how she like destroyed some of the the hold that music executives have on musicians music yep. in a good way she's done some very good things um but the industry but then um i mean when you're big enough you can yeah <clears throat> i mean i so i guess my my reaction to the tgc article is like tgc makes money by publishing things they always need to publish stuff like that's what they do they they have maybe a little bit of an identity crisis right now. I'm not a TGC hater quite like some people are. Um, I still find value in stuff that they write on a regular basis. But, you know, this was a, a hard swing and a whiff on this one. And this poor guy is probably going to lose sleep and take a lot of crap over. And never publish for TGC again. <laughs> Yeah, I and you know nobody can take him seriously anymore. Maybe maybe he has a teenage daughter that he no, he's single. Okay. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that I should, should I didn't mention that on the outset. He's he's, he's single. Okay. Uh, is he a youth pastor? Don't know, but he's a young okay. guy. Imagine mm-hmm. imagine our youth intern writing this article. Yeah. Kind of thing, but yeah. being unmarried still. Uh, you know, I mean. Whatever. Like it was for me, it's a swing and a miss. But like I said, I'm not going to I'm not so invested in Taylor Swift that I or and my daughters aren't, you know, my kids are like, you know, Elise wrote a letter to a friend today and she, you know, she's like, I don't know what to say to her. And I was like, well, ask her questions about herself and then she can write back with answers to those and then questions for you. And so one of her questions was, who's your favorite singer and what's your favorite song? Her, and she says, my favorite singer is Nate Burnham, and my favorite song is Firebird. So nice. JR went on a couple-day tour with singer Nate Burnham. If you look him up on YouTube, you can find his song Firebird. He's a country singer. He's uh, Mormon, so he's got, you know, he's not singing about terrible things. But it's kind of... He's it's, healthy. It's, yeah, it's kind of a ter- it's stereotypical country song. The kids had, they've listened to the song over and over because Elise likes it. They had no idea that Firebird was... All the kids like it. Tito started liking it first. Yeah, because he went to see... You always like musicians that you see live. Yeah. Uh, the kids, though, had no idea that a Firebird was a vehicle. So I, you know, we're driving and I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys don't even... They thought it was a phoenix. Talk about homeschool nerds. Well, I mean, <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> But um, you guys, Jair has a tattoo of a phoenix on his left shoulder. So half sleeve. So the kids thought that a firebird was a rising from the ashes avian specimen, rather than which a it, which it is. hot. Well, not in this. Not song. in this context. Yeah. Uh, so I Google and they're like, "Oh, that's a weird looking car." Oh, that car's cool. Trans Ams well, and Firebirds are like, I didn't like them until I got older, but now I want one. Yeah. So anyway, um, anyway, so at least like that's, that's a sample. And then, uh, they really like Christian singer, Austin French and huge Austin French fans. And then, and that's after the cousins visited and the cousins introduced them to Austin French. And then pretty much all of their other quote unquote pop music that they like, they get from dude perfect. Or they get a little bit from me. Cause I introduced them to 21 pilots. Oh, that's but true. But they got Dude Perfect introduced them to Paper Kings. Well, there's Dude Perfect uses... One thing I really like about Dude Perfect, speaking of more massive pop culture phenomena, uh, they they will find lesser known musicians that they like 
and they will, I mean, they're not promoting them per se, but there's a, uh, there, there's a like bucket list episode of Dude Perfect. Again, I don't, I don't watch these with the kids very much because I don't find them very entertaining, but the kids do. And I am fairly confident that I can let them watch things without, although, okay, so this is interesting. Speaking of letting them watch things, it's the YouTube ads you have to be careful with, right? Oh man. Dude Perfect has started their own app and it's not ad free but it's trustworthy ads. Oh, interesting. I haven't researched it, but I do find it very intriguing because they recognize that there's a niche of their audience where families are like, yeah, you can watch Dude Perfect because I don't feel like I have to filter anything that they're doing or saying. Or even the ads. These are solid Christian men with kids. Yeah. And, but, you know, you never know what YouTube's going to throw in there as an ad. And so they are doing their own the I don't app. I don't know if you have to pay for it or if you just get ads, but they're cleaner ads or what. But anyway, um, but so they there was this an episode where this guy did a walk on a flying airplane on the wing of it, and whatever song that they played during that was I don't know how lesser known, but it was a, an artist that the kids then looked up the song and are now love that artist because dude perfect yeah. introduced him to it. But anyway, all that to say, uh, I, we're just, that's just not a world that I have ever inhabited. And so, uh, it's not one that I, you know, can speak maybe with the, um, the winsomeness, if you will. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way, but you know, to, to say, been there, done that. I've been a lover of pop music for my whole life, and I'm looking at Taylor Swift's music with clear eyes. That's not me. I'm looking at it going, I was listening to Jillian Welsh and Alison Krauss in high school, and, you know, I've never been in step with mainstream culture. Man, I so. was I was neck deep in Christian alt rock back Which, in high school. Which, again, is not um, lockstep I had So my, my, um, <clears throat> my, closing, my closing thoughts on this... Um, I I responded with after reading, you know I didn't read the article I read the summary of the not the B thing and I got the basic gist of where he was going with everything. I said my initial thought is that it was kind of a waste of time and energy and proves my point of the Gospel Coalition being a lost relic of an older age. I've got I have some background experience uh, interacting interacting with TGC on with uh, a job interview I was a couple of years back in. Um, I'll leave that there. Um, and I said, but that said, there are echoes of eternity and shadows of the image of God kind of all around us. So I get where he was going. He just did it all wrong. Um, he had the right kind of gut instinct, but horrible, horrendously awful application. So if you guys want to read an amazing piece of work that talks about uh, talks about a lot of that. Um, it's a book called Echoes of Eden by Jerome Bars. And I'll link that uh, in the show notes to our Amazon, um, our Amazon to uh, an Amazon link for that book. And we are an Amazon affiliate. So when you purchase through those links, you do end up supporting the show. So we greatly appreciate that. It's called Echoes of Eden, Reflections on Christianity, Literature, and the Arts. Phenomenal read. <clears throat> and it expresses a lot of those ideas of 
as the book is called Echoes of Eden, Echoes of Eternity, and, and our, our, our reflections of the image of God kind of all around us, but from a very biblical, uh, from a very biblical understanding and done properly. So, Mr. Blake, go read that book first <laughs> before you read another article. Ah, uh, uh, yes, and your segue, babe. Okay, so I, a couple of weeks ago, I don't even know how I came. Oh, I do. So a gal that is on staff with me at Canavox did the whole Colson Fellows program and stuff, uh, posted a link to, to this podcast, and it really piqued my interest. Interestingly, the gal who shared the link is in Singapore, uh, but she has, like, flown over to the U.S. for Colson Fellows conferences and stuff. But she, it, and it's it's not an author or speaker that I regularly listen to. I don't know much about this gal, so I'm not necessarily endorsing her. I've heard her name around. Her name is Natasha Crane. Sorry, this is coffee with Jr. and Molly, and I just had to pause for a sip of coffee. I'm out. I'm gonna uh, leave and go. You can just talk. I'm gonna go get some more. <laughs> so Natasha Crane. She's got the Natasha Crane podcast. I would send JR a link to her website with her podcast, but none of the podcast episodes on her website are loading on my phone right now. I've got her. So, you can send me the link later and I'll, okay. I'll so, link it in the show notes. So the episode that I, that I listened to is episode 32. And it was literally I less than 10 minutes, I think. I think it was an eight-minute show. And the title of it is Living Counterculturally Can Make Your Kids Resent Christianity. And Oh, that's interesting. Yes. Very much, Pete, because I think that you and I would say we live counterculturally in almost every regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, we opt out and of... Being, being, unfortunately, being a Christian is... So I got thoughts on that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Being a Christian is and should be counter-cultural counter-cultural by its to very begin nature. with. Because our... You know, especially in our current culture, we have drifted so far from our main, you know, from our Judeo-Christian roots that somebody who was a committed Christian in early America probably wouldn't have felt quite as out of step with their mainstream culture as we do today because everybody, not everybody, a lot of people, at least in their, in the back of their brains, you know, even if they were not taking care of the poor and they were living an adulterous lifestyle or whatever they had, there was this broader understanding that living an adulterous lifestyle was wrong. And nowadays it's not considered wrong by mainstream culture. And so to be, uh, sexually chaste, uh, mean, and by chaste, I'm adopting the Catholic term, which means no sex outside of marriage from, you know, before you're married and after Mm -hmm. you're married, uh, you know, so so basic things that were not considered wrong century in past centuries, at least in a Judeo Christian heritage culture, are now out of step with the culture. But also, you know, we homeschool, so our kids are not steeped in a lot of the mainstream knowledge that, you know, kids who go to school are just exposed to on a regular basis. Um our kids have to help take care of chickens. And even though if you're on certain pockets of Instagram, that seems normal, it's not normal. <laughs> you know, um, so many, there's a lot of ways that we 
we live counterculturally. And so that I think is why it piqued that title piqued my interest. And then just the idea that, that it can make your kids resent Christianity. And Mm. she is discussing how to not do that in her podcast. And I will give away, it's worth listening to. If you guys, if you guys have kids, it's very short. So it's not like you're investing a bunch of your life especially if you go to the show notes that JR will share and you click the link. It's not, it's not like you're going to waste an hour of your day. Uh, she starts by telling a story about her family swimming in a mountain lake. And I think they were in Canada. I'm not exactly sure. And this guy came by and he, her husband and several kids were out in the water. She's on the shore. And this guy's like, there are leeches in this water leeches you should not be swimming there are leeches in this water and my immediate thought is you just pick them off i mean they're (laughs) gross but they're not carrying diseases as far as i know so anyway that's my first thought which shows how weird i am (laughs) to begin with uh but you know don't you know that they use leeches medicinally again uh but but she so she has this immediate like oh Oh, oh, you know, and then this like actual anger at this guy who is ruining their swimming experience where they've I mean, I was picturing us on our vacation in Big Fork, Montana, where we were camping at a lake specifically so that we can have access to the water within easy walking distance every day. We're planning to be in the water except for the day that it rained for 36 hours straight and you know, to have somebody come by and be like, there's something that's going to, you know, you should not be in here because, and then uh, walks away and you're left with this kind of reeling. Is it true? How bad is this? And also this gut revulsion at being in the water. And then this anger as somebody for spoiling your fun, whether or not that this knowledge is true. So her husband and kids get out of the water and he tells, she tells him and he has a similar reaction but they don't really know that much about, you know, there's just ran, some random dude who comes up to him on the beach. And so then the husband and kids are back out. And this guy seeks her out again, like an hour later, with an empty plastic water bottle that he has collected leeches. It's not empty. He has poured out what he purchased and it's full of water and leeches. And he's like, see, see, I was right. And she's just like, she says, what, what struck me was that. He was he was so happy at being right about something bad. And he um, he was like the, my anger and resentment at him being right and ruining our fun. And she goes on to say, I think that Christian parents tend to have like a. Uh, Guy on the le- guy with leeches on the beach. I think she called him leech on the beach guy leech for the, the rest guy. of the for the rest of the podcast. And she's like, <clears throat> "This is how Christian parents are treating their kids." Man, I see that all day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is why I wanted to, you know. So it's again like go back to our Taylor Swift conversation. See, she's bad. Like, stay away from her. You can't listen to any of the radio because Taylor Swift is a witch. Um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> which, I mean, truthfully, that was a little bit of my my reaction to this, the Instagram gal, which is why I didn't give her reaction to the TGC article Fair. a whole lot of thought. Because, I mean, I, didn't, it was very, I yeah. didn't put two and two together. But she's basically being leech on the beach guy with, you know, Taylor Swift is a witch. Don't pay, don't give her your money. Stay away from her, which is not wrong. Like if she is in fact convening a coven on stage, that is like, there are leeches in the water. You know, what do we do with that information? And I think what I really loved about Natasha Crane's piece is two things. Well, no, I don't remember. It's been a couple weeks since I listened to it. So this first one might be my uh, reading into it and my own thoughts. But, you know, if if there are indeed leeches in the beach or, you know, you don't want your kids to be Taylor Swift fans or you don't like your kids being friends with this particular kid at school or at church, because let's be, be honest, there are often sometimes kids at church that you don't want your kids to be friends with and they haven't developed a good sense of taste for that yet. Um don't just tell them, don't be friends with that kid. Don't listen to Taylor Swift. Don't, you know, don't, you know, whatever it is, uh, engage with them about it. Like, let's process what it looks like to swim in a lake full of leeches and what the potential consequences would be. Let's Google together, if we have internet access, while we're sitting on there, do leeches carry diseases? What do I do if I get a leech attached to me? You know, how dangerous is it, is it to swim in leech-infested water? Um... You know, uh, like let's let's arm ourselves with information, so that we are equipped to deal with things. And I think this is uh, so. Katie Faust, my friend out in Seattle, just published a book about raising conservative kids in a crazy city, and she's got four kids. Two of them, one girl is in college, another will be going off to college next year. And they're, they've been in public school in Seattle for their entire education, and they are as solid as solid can be in terms of their faith. And she is like, here's why, is because I talk about my, I talk about everything with my kids. And I mean, it's more than this, because she wrote a whole book on it, and I haven't read the book, but I've heard her talk about this at length. And she's like, I want my kids to be the best educated kids on any topic that's going to come up with their friends or in their classes. And so when when they're, you know, getting getting abortion uh, rhetoric thrown at them, they have more information than the teacher. They are, and it's so solid that nobody can be like, well, you're just being a bigger. You don't know what you're talking about. And these girls will come home and they will ask their mom any questions that they weren't able to answer or better yet, they know how to research it them th- themselves. They know how to get good information. And they they know that the truth is on their side because their mom never bats an eye at researching and digging in. There's nothing that's off limits for their conversation. And so to raise countercultural kids, you need kids who are really confident. And that means that you yourself need to be well-researched and really confident and in that, you know, you, yeah, I guess that's all I have to say about that. It's kind of like I, 
And I'm going to answer this question now because my parents will probably ask me this after listening to this episode. <laughs> no, mom and dad, you did not turn me off from Christianity in the way you engage with culture. So I appreciate that. You did not have that approach of, see, leeches are bad, stay away, you know. Um, and I kind of take, I mean, you know this because you're my wife, <laughs> but I kind of try to take this approach with, with our kids too and not shying away from all of these cultural things, but engaging with them in it and experiencing them with it. And I, what was my thought? My, my, just, it disappeared. Um, well, maybe I'll come back to it, but that brings up another thought I had. I was talking with a friend yesterday and he was, um, telling me about some poor decisions his now grown kids have been making. And he's, you know, he's been a long time. Uh, I mean, he's been a Christian his entire life, raised his kids in a Christian home, never really had a, he didn't have a heavy handed approach. Um, he didn't have a light-handed approach either. Like, I feel like you, from what I know, if you had been watching him, you would have been like, that's an example. I Yeah, you're doing, you're doing a good job, Yeah, you know, but his kids are making, um, bad, some bad decisions. And his comment, he just kind of kept saying, well, you know, people put their own quarter in the machine and play their own game, you know? And I appreciated his perspective on that, recognizing it. And maybe now this gets back to my thought. And this is kind of why I've had that approach. It's like, I recognize that my engagement with culture has, um, God has sustained me through those engagements. Um, and those engagements, some have been good, some have been bad. Um, but they haven't, uh, adversely affected my faith. If you kind of know where I'm going with that. Um, so when my, I'm not afraid of my kids engaging in culture, recognizing that one, God, they're going to make, well, God's in control of what they do. So it's not my, I'm not going to be saving them. I can teach them. I can show them. Um, but I'm not, I'm not in charge of saving their souls. It's not my, you know, not, not my... only are you not in charge of it, you can do everything right and, uh, come out with kids who are not walking with the Lord. Yeah. Of course, you don't know the eternal state of their souls. And so you never stop praying and trying to speak into their lives and things like that. But the idea that we, if there's a formula that if we do the right things and you look at another parent whose kids are not walking with the Lord and think, well, they must've missed something. They must've not gotten it just right. And that that's a really insidious thing that's going to wreck your relationship with your kids as well as is not, does not take a correct view of God. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I grew up with a lot of families in that world mm-hmm. and I still see that prevalent today, especially within the church, um, of people, of parents who are afraid of culture and so cut everything off from their children. Um, and I don't, I don't believe that's a healthy way to approach it because it's not, it's not the thing. It's the underlying substance of the thing that needs to be discussed. You know, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, you know, um, so engaging with, with the reasons behind the thing, engaging with, with the heart stuff behind the thing is where, um, is why, th- you know, and those opportunities, um, those cultural opportunities like Taylor Swift, um, give springboard opportunities to talk about those deeper things with the kids. Yeah. And I, I've got a couple of things bouncing around in my mind about other cultural things that are very controversial in the Christian community. Uh, and I will throw them both out there and then try to return to the two trains of thought that I have going on. 
as well. So one of them is Halloween. Uh, the other is yoga. And the reason that those are both, I mean, they're they're evergreen issues, right? It, it just, I think since I started becoming aware of these issues, they they come up, I mean, the Halloween one, it's circling on Christian Mom Instagram again, you know? And what's interesting is both in the last maybe couple of weeks, when I have seen Instagram reels of people discussing both Halloween and yoga, and I have not, I've not thought about this enough to have a well-formed opinion. I think I would need to talk to people who have in order to have what I feel like is a well-formed opinion. But for example, with yoga, I saw this clip of this guy saying, Christian pastor, say, talking to an ex-Hindu. And the ex-Hindu said, what people don't understand about yoga is it's not just stretches. And even if you're not doing the mind-emptying meditation practices that go with yoga, in, in the Hindu religion, the body poses that you are doing are gateways for the spiritual world. So when you're sitting, you know, in whatever the, I don't know the names because I haven't done yoga, I haven't practiced yoga, but I know there's like a sun god one. That's actually not just a way of strengthening your back and your legs and your upper body. It's actually an invitation pose for that particular spirit to enter you through the channel that you're making when you're doing that or when you're sitting with your legs what's the like cross-legged but not cross-legged more mm. i can't do it in this chair and i might not be able to do it anyway uh we'll but you know that's that's so he's saying you're creating a gateway and what what the the but comment, are you well or is it just the religion that they've ascribed to that well and also and also I don't know. well and also then the, the then Christian pastor responding to this ex-Hindu was like, you know, it doesn't matter what your intention is. It matters what you're physically doing, like the, the demons who are going to enter you. And I don't know if I'm taking this out of context now. It doesn't matter if you think you're opening a gate for them or not. The gate is open and they're going to go through that open gate. And that's see that my gut reaction is. Okay, maybe there is something actually spiritual going on that you're not aware of when you're doing these stretches and stuff. But is it true that if you open a gateway, an evil spirit can enter you? Because I feel like see, I, I see, yeah, I and so likewise, I will see people with Halloween costumes. And they will say, again, it doesn't matter what your intention is. If you're parading around in a costume, you are participating in a satanic ritual. And you are, uh, what it, whatever your intention is with that, you are actually, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, you are, I don't know if they would have said this, inviting you know, malevolent spiritual beings, demons, to be part of what you're doing because you are uh, partaking in the way that these satanic rituals essentially have prescribed to partake in these satanic rituals. And I, I, I've just been mulling over, is it possible for a Christian 
to unintentionally participate <laughs> in a and not just you know no. I we're memorizing the end of James three right now in school and he says but where there is selfish ambition and boasting there is um, there is disorder in every vile practice now I have to look it up we haven't obviously um, but, but then he says that's not the wisdom that comes from above but is earthly <clears throat> unspiritual demonic so here we have James dis- describing something as demonic <clears throat> that feels honestly pretty innocuous if you're like boasting is demonic bitter jealousy and selfish ambition do not boast and be self- false to the truth that is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So James is saying that having bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart is demonic. And I guess that goes to your que- the question of what is demonic? What is demonic? Yeah, I was is it say. is it participating? You know, is it screw tape letters sort of thing where you're getting your, um, you know, you don't have a demon inside of you. But you are participating in things that I are of Satan, who right. is an enemy of the Lord, and bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. I haven't studied the Greek behind that particular word, but my initial inc- inclination is that what do the demons do? They rebelled against God. So doing the things that God com- not doing the things that God commands you to do, and conversely, doing the things that He commands you not to do, selfish ambition boasting, vanity, lying, which are, which, are acts of rebellion against God. Yeah, and those, I mean, Thereby, Satan himself, when he fell from heaven, it right. was selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, right? So, I mean, to go to go back to your question, like I, I chuckled there for a minute, because yes, I think absolutely Christians can find themselves unintentionally participating in demonic things. If my exposition of that particular passage holds true, then we do it all the time. But yeah, but, but are we inviting a demon that, into no, our lives? I, there, I don't know where that came from, but there is there was so much random stuff I grew up with in the church where it's like, okay, you play drum beats usher in because in tribal customs they use drum beats yeah. for whatever. So you play this one, you'll usher in the demon. Ouija boards will bring in will bring in demonic voices, or you can like you I mean, can no, literally I, lose. I would not, drum beats and Ouija boards are totally different. You because Ouija boards are actually trying to communicate <laughs> with the demonic realm. Like okay, drum beats and Ouija boards but are like, totally different. You literally will lose. You'll become possessed by a demonic force as a believer which is categorically wrong yes and that so that actually goes <laughs> so that's why i was chuckling i'm like yeah we yeah. can actually participate but come on there's like my kids running around me doing a yoga pose is not going to usher in a gateway for a demon yeah. to take control I'm sitting of my cross-legged. life what if i accidentally had my cross-legged sitting move into being a, a how much power yoga do you pose? put in god's in god's sovereignty control and salvation his protective hand and his holy spirit in like none you. So that that I think is one of the it whether or not you're afraid of an actual demon coming into you if you sit cross-legged in the wrong way or if your kid chooses a Halloween costume that is innocuous or you know not quite innocuous enough or if your kid does Halloween at all I think what you are going to you know your gut reaction was because of a fear-based response to broader culture into the things of this world and 
That was one of my, I don't think Natasha Crane said this in her brief podcast, but again, like there's beach, there's leeches in the water. Like, you know, it's, it's entirely a fear-based, um, fear-based interaction with the world. And look, this is my father's world. His hand is over everything and he created everything. And yes, Satan rebelled and is working his hardest to muck it up and people are fallen people are weird and hard and people are also there are outright evil people in the world there are things that we need to very much be on guard of but we don't need to live in fear of anything right whether it's fear of you know accidentally doing a yoga pose or fear of drum beats in church which i remember that i was in middle school when we had to watch <laughs> hell's bells hell's bells what a great movie. And documentary. Playing, it's not a movie. Playing records backwards. Certain yeah. records you could play backwards and it says, come to me, Satan, or I don't remember what the Yeah, exactly. I'm sh- I guarantee you there are people oh in our gosh. listening audience who also participated in watching Hell's Bells in the mid to late 1990s. No, that but was I mean, 80s. That was an 80s movie. Oh, well, we watched yeah, that it was the heyday in the mid-90s. Of, the heyday of like apocalyptic, weird... 80s yeah so i guess all all i'm saying is dig into if if you have this tendency read the book of revelation with a really good commentary next to not even necessarily a commentary like a, a a really accessible layperson's solid commentary i can try to dig up a couple the one that comes to mind off the top of my head is Vern poitras's book is it poitras the Return of the King, and yes, it's absolutely a deliberate play on the Lord of the Rings, because the whole point of the Book of Revelation is God wins. So there's all of this horrible, demonic, violent things happening in the world, and John is writing to his people to, you know, as as the shepherd being given a vision from the Lord himself to encourage and to bolster. And yes, to shake up a little bit people who are not doing everything they can to walk in the ways of the Lord, which some of us need. Some of us are probably a little bit too worldly in Mm -hmm. how we live things. And it's always good to be shaken up. But the ultimate point of the book of Revelation is God wins. So don't live in fear. Live in eager anticipation of the creator and the king of the universe who redeemed all things coming back and setting everything right uh, for one final time. I mean, absolutely practice uh, discretion and um, your convictions. Like I'm not telling anybody to go out and celebrate all these things. Oh, it's free for everybody. Just go go haywire. That's not at all what I'm, you know, what we're trying to say, but like uh, there is liberty of conscience. There is, um, elements where you feel a stronger conviction than others, and that's totally okay. Yeah. It, but make sure it lines up biblically. 100%. Oops, I did not send you the right thing. Uh, yes, I agree with you 100%. And in some ways, I feel like that should go without saying, but you're right. It needs it, to it be should said. go without saying, but I need but to But it needs to be said. But what I'm saying is, is I don't think Christians need to live in fear that, um, you know, on the one hand, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I don't think Christians need to live in fear of accidentally ushering in a demon because you let your kid dress up like a ghost for Halloween 
or because you let your kid do yoga off of a kid's yoga, you know, a kid's YouTube channel for yoga, which I let my kids do because we they... do yoga poses all the time in judo as part of our stretch. Some of yeah, our stretches. Yeah, so you're participating, and you, I bet you sit in a circle like a witch's coven too, don't you? Yeah, and we also practice like uh, discipline of mind. I mean, we're not emptying our minds completely in the in the Hindu or Buddhist sense of you're clearing out your conscious, but it's like focus. Like we've got to, we got to, we're, we're, you know, you've done a lot yeah. of, you've done a lot you know of stuff today. The, hard, the hardest emptying of mind that you guys do or discipline of mind that you guys do in judo is, I don't know that, I haven't seen this done recently, but there was an, an instructor that the kids had when Titus, maybe just Titus and Lily were doing it and they would stand him in front of a mirror and then teach in front of the mirror and then make the kids do push-ups if they were watching themselves instead of the teacher in the mirror. <laughs> I like, think that was Rob. That is impossible. That is yeah. impossible. This is why gyms have mirrors everywhere is because we're just drawn to watching. Oh, most of us hate those mirrors at the dojo. We just want to get rid of all of them. They're anyway, just, awful. I, that one that one cracks me up. The discipline yeah. expected of little kids to not look at themselves in the mirror and to watch the instructor who's standing in front yeah. of the mirror. You guys, if, if, if you've been to our dojo, you probably haven't. But if you go to our dojo, you'll notice that most of the time we have one a giant um, tatami mat, one of the portable tatami mats, blocking unfolded, most blocking most of the mirror. All, most of the kids don't stand more than three or four feet high, so they can't see over the yeah. tatami mat. So, so just as we're as we're approaching close to an hour, the other point that Natasha Crane made in her podcast that I would hundred percent am on board with and think that we cannot do enough of is she said you can't just say no, 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 that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. Be afraid of it, like. You know, don't be leech on the beach guy because you have to offer something better. You have to be a source of joy and you have to see Christ and all that Christ has to offer as joy. And so you, you know, you, this applies in so many areas of life. There's a gal that I follow on Instagram who is also a friend in real life And she has kind of documented her own journey to having a healthy relationship with food. And she's run the whole gamut from having an eating disorder to exercising obsessively to her body basically quitting on her. And she developed a ton of health problems. And then she did all of these elimination diets. And, you know, if I just eliminate this one more thing, if I figure out the one more thing I need to eliminate from my diet, then I'll feel good. And so she was like, no gluten, no dairy, no, I don't even know what else she had eliminated from her diet. And she has restored herself to health. And her, her philosophy is don't focus on, on the bad things to take away from your diet. Focus on good things to add in. And eventually the good things that you add in will crowd out the bad things because first of all, your body learns to like the good things. And second of all, she's like, if you're listening to your body, by the time you finish getting in the good things, you're not, you're going to be too full for the bad things and your body will be genuinely satisfied. So she's one of the people that has, that I have taken seriously in promoting, like get your protein in. And, you know, your when your body is satisfied with the good fats and with the protein, uh, you are not going to have cravings because you're legit just too full. Well, this is a concept we crave. talk about all the time, even when it goes, let's go way back to some one of our first episodes where we talk about goat heads and the fact that all of the good grass choked out the bad weeds. 
we do the same thing in our hearts. You know, we exactly. add good things. We, we pray. Con- I pray constantly with and for the kids and ourselves that we will, that God will foster in us a desire for His good things. That we'll just lose our taste for sin. We'll lose our taste for the things of the world, and we'll we'll reorient ourselves to the things of Him. Right, and so I think that as a as a family. <clears throat> Or as an individual, if you don't have a family, orienting yourself to finding joy in God's good gifts uh, in your own heart chokes out the desire, the bitter jealousy, the selfish ambition, the covetousness, the discontentment of not, you know, so I'm thinking of a single friend that I have who spends all summer hiking with friends, like every weekend she's in the, she's in the Beartooth Mountains with friends she does not have time on the weekend to sit around feeling sorry for herself because the lord has not given her the desire of her heart which is to be married she's out enjoying the beauty of god's creation in good relationship with other people who have similar tastes too much to sit around being discontent at least on the weekends you know and i think she's probably part of the reason that she is so active is to ward that off from her heart and um you know but but as we're raising kids you know do we spend more time saying no that's bad to them than we do actively engaging in good joy-filled things with them you know and it's not it's not a shallow um mm substitute so i think you know this is one thing that the christian community was was not great at when we were growing up uh and i'm i'm not even lockstep with like christian culture these days so we're probably still doing it but i'm not aware of it but you know and it you know are we replacing don't listen to taylor swift she's bad with listen to i don't even know who the you know the not as good yeah you know like like substitute yeah like like oh no i won't take you to the taylor swift concert but i'll take you to this concert and your kid's like not even close you know like are are we saying are we doing shallow substitutes or are we embracing joy with confidence that first of all, that if we make a mis, you know, a misstep, that it's irre, you know, not irredeemable, you know, in terms of exposing our kids to something that, you know, is not as godly as we would prefer. And are we genuinely just enjoying a good life? And by good life, I don't mean, I mean you know, good as we were designed to be fulfilled relationally, to be eating good food, to be taking joy in the good things that God designed for us to take joy in. And I think that that ultimately has to be where we go. I mean, in my box this year, uh, speaking of which, I'm going to do a little self-promotion here. Uh, Sweet. I, I, I have a local group that I run. <clears throat> Uh, I am contemplating doing an online group, doing the same thing that I'm doing in my local group right now, because it wouldn't be that much more work for me, but it would be fun to do it doubly because it's just really fun. So my, because there's so much confusion about gender and gender roles and sexuality in our world today, and not just, uh, you know, if you say to someone, be a man, you know, grow up, grow a pair, be a man. You know, you say, say this to our 12-year-old son. Um, what does that even mean? Yeah. 
there is not a great consensus about what that means in not our anymore. culture. Not anymore. And <clears throat> some of the old consensus was wrong. Exactly. Exactly. Some of the old consensus was also right. Yeah. So I have actually been reading a series of articles right now based on a book that a sociologist named whose last name is Gilbert did, and he surveyed like like cultures all around the world in a desire to distill down the essence of masculinity and manhood and apparently the book is fairly dry and hard to read but and the series of articles that i'm working on reading through are themselves very long and so there's obviously a lot in the book but uh, would it be something we're sharing to our audience it would absolutely it's i will send it to jr it's from the website the art of manliness which the more i'm on the website i like that website yeah it's a great website and it's not just like this guy's not just teaching you how to tie a bow tie in the appropriate times to wear a bow tie. He's actually a very prolific writer and he does a ton of reading and then distills what he's read. One of my favorite articles that I first ever saw with them is why you should be wrestling with your kids. Yes. Why dads should be wrestling with their kids. Yeah. Love so it. he, so this one, it's, I think it's a series of seven or eight long blog posts on this book by sociologist Gilbert I think his name's David Gilbert and he looks at the essence of masculinity across all these different cultures and then he distills it down to three P's that men in across all of these cultures uh, men are protectors providers and procreators and I'll give you a very very brief description of each of those protector is pretty obvious like Physically, men are bigger. Testosterone-wise, men are driven to more uh, protective-slash-violent behavior. Uh, Provider, even in cultures where both men and women provide, it tends to be that men are doing the protein and women are doing the other stuff. Um, And so the men are out doing the hunting and the women are doing the gathering. Uh, Procreator, uh, men have the drive. (laughs) There would not be a lot of procreation <laughs> if it were just... A, I mean, obviously, women do... Molly can attest truthfully, to this. Most, I don't know. I think most wives can attest to this. If truthfully, it wasn't you know, women do most of the work on the procreation, but there wouldn't be a lot of procreation happening if men didn't have the drive for it. But he said, if you were to, to like, even to choose, like, a most important of the P's, he believes that it's protector. And then uh, several blog posts later... He then is discussing the code of manliness, and he believes that, you know, this isn't he believes. This is something that researchers keep coming to. Women, you don't achieve womanhood. You are a woman, and you, there is a scale of femininity based on cultural factors and based on personal preferences, and so people will say, like, oh, she's very feminine, but they won't say she's not a woman, but... You will look at a guy and go, that's not a real man. And so he's trying to distill down why, like, what is the objective standard that we use to say, man up, be a man. You're not a real man. You've lost your manliness. You're effeminate. Like all of these different ways of saying manhood is an achievement and there's a code and it mostly has to do with protection. Hmm. And so there's uh, honor, shame, uh, mastery of skills and there are rites of passage that men, uh, girls don't really go through rites of passage. In most cultures, men have some sort of rite of passage that usually involves physical pain. 
and physical achievement. So there's one down in the Amazon where boys have to stick their hand in a mitt full of burning, stinging ants and leave it in for 10 minutes and not show a sign of pain physically, even though they'll bring their hand out and it will be so swollen they can't use it for a week. Um, yeah, it, it's like brutal, brutal rites of passage for men. And it's all about when, if, when we go into battle or we're protecting our borders together, can I trust you both in terms of your skill and in terms of your, your character? Your toughness. Uh, well, not just toughness. I mean, mental <laughs> toughness. But are you trustworthy? Yeah. Will you have my back? Is part of man is part of manliness. Hmm. So anyway, I've been doing all this reading. It's fascinating, and and the reason I'm doing this reading is because as I look at the world around us, it's so confused. I want our kids and our peers and us to be able to live with clarity and again, like here's that that to be able to live with confidence and joy in the sexed bodies that we have that they're not an accident and that they're actually incredible gifts. And so all that to say this year in my Canavox, I am doing a series on masculinity and femininity. So my local group, we started last week with what's our philosophical foundation for how we're approaching this because we're not, how do I say this without triggering people? We're not starting from the Bible. We are starting from an assumption that God made male and female. He declared that very good. And then we're going to dive into the social sciences that help us parse that out, that the Bible is sufficient, but it doesn't tell us everything that we we can know in order to live with more clarity in this world. And so we're using social sciences, things like the Gilbert article to understand the essence of masculinity. And then we bring that back into our understanding of how to live the way that God created us. So anyway, I've been mulling over doing an online version of that. So if uh, what I said piqued your interest and you're a woman and you would probably have time during the day, I could possibly do an evening one, but preferably like an afternoon mountain time, uh, shoot us a message or I'll tell you what, why don't we put together like a Google form that I can link in the show notes? I don't think we're going to have that much interest, truthfully. Okay. Just shoot us Just a message. Just shoot, shoot us a message. In any of the ways. But we're also going to look at femininity, and then we're also going to look at a couple of other things, but one of the big issues, I don't know if we've, well, it was what we talked about at my Cana Box retreat this summer, but the how men in America and in the West in general are just failing massively right now on by virtually every metric. One in seven men in America does not work by choice, not because they're disabled, but by choice. Because they have completely lost any of those three P's of being a protector or a provider. They have no desire to get married. They're just going to sit in their mom's basement and indulge in pornography and play video games and live off of various, you know, assistance forms, leeches, if you will, to draw a thread through our whole episode. Uh, And um, listen to Taylor Swift. Well, Go I don't know that those, no, 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 those <laughs> men are not listening to Taylor I'm making Swift. a joke, babe. I know. <laughs> I'm making a joke. They're actually <laughs> they're, taking it seriously. They're the people that Taylor Swift is singing. I don't think they're actually listening to they're it. The, nope, they're the people that Taylor Swift is singing negatively about. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they can't afford to go to her concerts. <laughs> no, anyway, um, all that said, I think because the reason that I'm doing this is because we need to fill our lives with so much 
confidence and knowledge and joy that when we do live counterculturally, we are setting an example to the world of what it looks like to live in the way that God created us to. And we ourselves are unshakable in our conviction that we're living a good life. And by good life, I mean, we're fulfilling how God designed us. We're fulfilling the Westminster Catechism question one, that we are glorifying God and enjoying him and just enjoying everything he has made to its fullest. Well, not to its fullest, looking forward to the day when he returns and then we do get to enjoy it to its fullest. Yeah. So guys, if you do want to send us a message, you can, uh, about that or anything else, joining Molly's group or anything else you want to just reply to us on the show, you can do so in three primary ways. The first way is in the show notes. I've got a link to our too busy to flush telegram group. We have a private group on telegram that's full of about 70 people and probably maybe a quarter of those are active on a very regular, almost a daily basis. So there's some really great conversation there around the show and around other things. Great community of people. The second way you can contact us is through our website, www.toobusytoflush.com, all grammatically correct, or TB, the number 2F, TB2F.com. Scroll down, you can send us a postcard. There's a postcard option there. The third way, which I haven't promoted recently at all, is to send us an email tb2f at pm.me that's tb the number 2f at papamike.me mike echo so you can send us uh, an email in those three uh the three ways or send us a message in those three ways you can give us your feedback let us know also while you're out doing things on the internet you know maybe think about leaving us a, a review um, five stars is always great if we're only okay four stars is works well as too if you're really pissed at us Leave us one star and ruin our ranking. That'd be great. Um, but leave us a rank there. And, and again, share us with your friends. If there's an episode or a section or something that you really thought was great, we appreciate the shares. That's probably the biggest compliment you can give us. So that said, we do try to be a weekly podcast. But at the beginning of the show, I mentioned we are terrible at uh, right now at trying to be consistent on things. And we're hoping to... Hoping to clean that up a little bit. Uh, my schedule for the next couple of weeks, anyway, we're going to be recording on Wednesdays, so um, or a Tuesday night. So be prepared for, you know, probably a Thursday drop on our show for the next couple of weeks. And then I don't know. I'm kind of enjoying the Saturday morning thing. <laughs> so, you know, a little coffee. That hunting season. A little downtime. Yeah, like so I said, for the next couple of weeks, it'll be on Wednesdays. So, anyway, that said, um, it's the end of the show. Thanks for listening. Let us know your thoughts. And we'll hopefully talk to you next week.